2: Be still. I guess we fight with that more than we do just about anything. Because we've learned to save ourselves with distraction. We've learned to avoid pain by putting our mind on other things, but never quite allowing God to be the Savior. You know, we raised six kids. And one of the things I know about a child is when they're at ease in their mother's arms... They'll put their head up against the chest and they will just stay there almost like they're listening to the heart in a quiet place. The crying will begin to cease. There'll just be a gentle breathing. And sometimes they just go right off to sleep because they have been so exhausted by struggling, by fighting, by pushing away all the attempts of the mother or even the father to love them. You know that that wears us out quicker than anything else. It's not so much what the world does to us because he's overcome the world. What wears us out as children of God is pushing against the very thing that should comfort us, that should strengthen us, that should allow us to put our head on his chest and breathe a sigh of release. Rest, from God's point of view, is not sleep. It's a confidence and assurance of him. Rest is knowing the God that saves you. Rest is putting into your focus the truth of your God. Putting all of your attention upon the truth of your God. That is rest. Rest is our place of salvation. Peter began to sink as he focused on the troubled sea. But as he looked at the Savior, there was rest. He was able to walk on top of the water. God didn't have to still the water for Peter to come to him. You know, we often think that, don't we? That God has to still the water before we can come to him. But God didn't have to do that. God invited Peter out on the troubled water. Because Peter's safe place was in the presence of Jesus. If you will stand with me, we'll read our text for today, which is Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through 19. Take care, brothers and sisters, that there not be in any one of you a wicked, unbelieving heart which refuses to trust and rely on the Lord, a heart that turns away from the living God but continually encourage one another every day as long as it is called today and there is opportunity so that none of you will be hardened into settled rebellion by the deceitfulness of sin, its cleverness, delusive glamour, and sophistication. For we believers have become partakers of Christ, sharing in all that the Messiah has for us. If only we hold firm our newborn confidence, which originally led us to him until the, to the end. While it is said, today, while there is still opportunity, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as when they provoked me in the rebellion in the desert at Meribah. For who were they who heard and yet provoked him with rebellious acts? Was it not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose dead bodies were scattered in the desert? And to whom did he swear an oath that he would, they would not enter into his rest? But to those who disobeyed, those who would not listen to his word... So we see that they were not able to enter into his rest, the promised land, because of the unbelief and unwillingness to trust in God. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. So let's look at verse 12, where it says, Take care, brothers and sisters. That there not be in any one of you a wicked, unbelieving heart which refuses to trust, rely on the Lord, a heart that turns away from the living God. Take care, brothers and sisters. Now, that's the Amplified. Some of you probably says take care, brethren. But I want you to note that the author is now using the illustration of Israel's unbelief in the desert. Your translation, again, may read brethren, but that's not necessarily addressing Christians, and that's where a lot of people get confused. This is addressing Jews. You'll remember that the author makes a clear distinction. When we were in chapter 3, verse 1, he makes a very clear distinction. He addresses his writings to holy brethren. There's a distinction there. That is Christians, which are Christians. Now, this word for brethren is used throughout the Acts, throughout the book of Acts, to refer to the Jews. And he is telling them, in effect, to examine their hearts. Now, that's another word that can be confusing. The Greek language is very precise. So, you may have a word that has as many as five or six definitions. What determines the definition is the context. It's very accurate if you keep it in context. If you take it out of context, you can apply the wrong meaning. And unfortunately, a lot of teachers, expositors, even translations have done just that. Because they will operate from a particular bias or point of view in terms of how they see that word. Well, this word heart can be uh, confusing because it is the word "cardia" and it can refer to the physical heart or the soul, that is the soul or mind, will, and emotions, the place that is the fountain or the seed of thoughts, passions, desires, appetites, affections, purposes, and endeavors. And as we teach here, the soul is not you. That's not who you are. The soul is your expression. The soul is an instrument that will be played by you. And you are who you are at the heart. That is either your spiritual center or the center of your depravity, depending upon your, uh, whether you were born in Adam or born in Christ. This, uh, this particular unbelieving heart is referencing a person who's never received Christ. But it could also reference the soul. If you are a Christian, you can be unbelieving of soul. You know that, right? You can feel unbelieving, you can think unbelieving thoughts, and you can do unbelieving things. And the Amplified makes it clear that the author is addressing the Hebrews who do not know Christ as life. Now, I will ask you a question. Is there any sin great or small, as you might define them, or as man defines them, that is not, does not have its roots in unbelief. I don't think there is. Unbelief is really the most troubling of issues for the life of a Christian because it leaves us looking for what we already possess in Christ. Now, there are three things that were accomplished by the finished work of Christ— First, we are forgiven because of the atonement he made through the shedding of his blood. Second, through our faith in him, we are born again. The old is gone. We are made new as creatures that live from its union with the spirit of God. And we have a new spiritual heart within, made for him. And then third and last, which we typically turn this all on its ear, but last, we are a saved people. Now that is in an eternal present tense. It's not referring back to the day you walked down the aisle. Saved means literally held by God in salvation through the whole of your existence. You're being saved. In fact, Saved could be another word for mercy. Saved could be another word for grace, because it involves all of those things. We are forever walking in his salvation. There is not a Christian who can step out of the grace of God. There's not a Christian who can step out of the mercy of God. We are being saved continuously. Now, the issue for the unbelieving Christian is that he can possess the first two, and I'm talking about the unbelieving Christian, he can possess the first two, and never by faith rest in the salvation of the Lord. I see this all the time in my life and in the life of others. Never rest in the salvation of the Lord. To rest in it, we must do what the children of Israel refuse to do, That is, believe in God, the God of our salvation. Now, that is to live in the presumption of faith that says, no matter what I face, no matter how many times I fail, I live in his salvation. He is saving me. Now, if not, you will not know Jesus as your daily savior, and your daily failures and problems will overwhelm you you will resign yourself to hope in frail flesh, or to a life of failure. To the Israelites, salvation meant in the moment, not in heaven one day. As Paul writes in 1 Corinthians one eighteen, For the message of the cross is foolishness, absurd and illogical to those who are perishing and spiritually dead because they reject it. But to us who are being... Present tense, continuous, saved by God's grace. It is the manifestation of the power of God. Now listen, embracing the salvation of the Lord means that I reckon upon this both the sovereignty and the love of God in every circumstance, in every situation, in everything that I enter into then I am literally being kept by him no matter what I see before me. Now, you remember the children of Israel, and we'll touch on this again. The children of Israel were promised the promised land. You remember the promised land? And he says, the day you enter, you will enter into my rest. Yet we know that the promised land was full of enemies. Wasn't it? One enemy after another. They all, and some of them were huge, some of them were warlike people. Now these Israelites, they're a bunch of slaves, all they had was farming implements. That's why they didn't want to go. But God says, I'm giving you the land. But look at them, that's not the point, I'm giving you the land. But it's, they so big, but it's not the point, I'm giving you the land. Now I'm going to tell you something, God has given you this life. It's not the point that it's hard. It's not the point that there are difficulties. It's not the point that there are giants in the land. But God has given you this life. And he's calling you to go forward in his salvation. Do you think for a minute God was expecting that the children of Israel would rise to the occasion, coming off slavery with their farming tools, that they would come in and become massive warriors, and by the strength of their flesh and their own ingenuity, be able to take out these giant warlike people? you think that was God's expectation? think God was sitting up there with the heavenly host saying, oh, this ought to be good. Watch this. No. God wasn't planning on the Israelites taking out the warlike people, the giants. God made more do of the big grapes and everything else that was in the land of promise than he did out of the warring peoples. God says, I have given you the land. And the reason he says that is because those guys are going to fall. But they don't look like they're going to fall. That's not the point. I've given you the land. Go forward in the confidence of my salvation. Go forward in the confidence of my deliverance. Go forward in joy. Go in with joy and go out with joy. Give praise unto him. Now the reason so many Christians are walking around in defeat is because they refuse to embrace the salvation of the Lord. Well, you'd know I'm not being saved if you could meet my husband. God gave you the land. You don't know it, but probably the contrariness of your husband is part of your salvation. God gave you the land. The job you have, it's hard, it's difficult. You're working with unbelievers who are constantly bad-mouthing you. You've got one problem after another. And you just, all you can do is come home in the evening and say, Oh Lord, deliver me, deliver me. And he says, I've given you the land. I'm not going to deliver you. I didn't come to, to uh, give you an exit every time there was a problem. I came to make you more than conquerors. Well, what is a conquer? A conqueror is not the one that drives out all the people that are causing you frustration. A conqueror is the one that walks in the victory of the Lord, not the victory of the circumstance. And if your victory is tied to flesh, well, good luck with that. Your victory is tied to Jesus Christ. Nothing else. To rest. To rest in His rest. We must do as they didn't do. They refused to enter in because in their own assessment, it would have destroyed them. In their own assessment, it was threatening. In their own assessment, it was not peaceful enough. It was not... The path was not smooth enough. In their own assessment, what is wrong with that assessment? There's no God in it. And God has already told them what he's going to do. Many judge their salvation by their comfort in their circumstances. Those who reject the salvation of the Lord are dying even while they live in the body. But the child of God who is being saved, present tense, and that deliverance is the manifestation of the power of God. That's what 1 Corinthians 1.18 says right there. Being saved by God's grace It is the manifestation of the power of God. And many people feel like they have no relationship with the Lord because they haven't gone forward in the salvation of the Lord. Because here's the thing the demonstration, the manifestation of the power of God is seen by people of faith who step forward in the reality that God is their salvation, not their circumstance. No wonder he seems distant. No wonder you don't feel like you're close. You're not walking with him. Many Christians live in unbelief because they're looking for their salvation from this world. They look to the coping mechanisms of this world, the escapism, the self-indulgence of this world. And as a result, they only have vignettes of God. Vignettes of the manifestation of his power. What they'll tell you is, well, I remember back in 1982 when I was in a car wreck. Somebody came along and pulled me out of the car. That was a manifestation of the power of God. What about today? What about in this moment you're living in? What about the God who's holding you together right now? Do you want to live a life that goes like this? From vignette to vignette, is that the Christian life? It's supposed to be from victory to victory. Well, victory to victory means moment by moment, doesn't it? That's what he's called you to. And you say, oh, no. No, really. That means in every moment, God has some point of victory for you. And the only reason that you can't embrace it is because your definition of victory is tied to your comfort. That's typically the issue. I can speak for me. As I said earlier, they look for other ways to cope. Now I want to tell you something. They want to get away from their anxiety. They want to get away from their fear. They want to get away from all of the pressures and the hardships of their life. And they can't see salvation unless God works salvation in the way they define it. I'm preaching on this and I'm about to go on vacation. But you know what? I'm not going on vacation and looking to that vacation to be a salvation for me. I'm not looking for that vacation to be an escape from anxiety or fear or trouble. And if you ever look at vacation that way, you obviously don't fly. I'm not looking for vacation to deliver me of anything. It's just going to be a different piece of real estate, a different platform for God to reveal himself. And I'm okay with that. Because every day with Jesus, right? As I said, many judge their salvation by their comfort and their circumstances, but Paul would not have known the manifestation of the power of God using that criteria, would he? Would Paul have known victory by your definition of victory? Would Paul have known peace by your definition of peace? Would Paul have known salvation by your definition of salvation? Ask yourself. He writes from prison in Philippians chapter 1 verse 28. And in no way be alarmed or intimidated in anything by your opponents. For such constancy and fearlessness on your part is a clear sign... A proof and a seal for them of their impending destruction. But a clear sign for you of deliverance and salvation. And that too from God. Gee, he had a different definition of salvation, didn't he? That sounds like you look at fear boldly and say, you can't take life from me. You can't take my greatest joy from me. You can't take my greatest prize from me. You can only change my circumstances. You can make it uncomfortable for the body. You could even remove me from the body. And so I will rush into the reality that I'm already living in. But I'll go forward in victory. And I will not be moved away. My mentor, Mike Wells, for those of you who don't know, he once wrote this. What would be the loss to my life if I believed that salvation is only for a future time? Very great. For I would continue to suffer defeat daily, today, while I'm looking forward to freedom in the future. When all the while I could have lived in victory, had I seen the Savior as someone who delivers me today and every day until the final deliverance from this body and he was delivered. John tells us that apart from him we can do nothing, and that's truth. It's a truth that extends far beyond just holding us together. It's the truth of the soul, mind, will, and emotion. Apart from the recognition of his salvation in every moment, we will be overwhelmed by the need to save ourselves and others, won't we? Unbelief will rob us of knowing the abundance of the life that he has given to the believer. Every need is met in him. So he is the salvation we were made to know while living in the blessing of need. You ever look at need that way? Well, if every need is met in him, where am I going to go meet him? Right? Uh, The prosperity preachers would have trouble with that. Unbelief turns into the opportunity. To know the power of God. Unbelief turns the opportunity to know the power of God into a desperate experience that we seek to avoid. Boy, I can remember when I was out of work for six months, man. I hope that never happens again. Really? Who held you during that six months? Who fed you? Who cared for you? Did you not have an intimate relationship with him? It's funny, in those places that are so desperate... seems so urgent. We don't feel the freedom to skip our time of, of prayer with him. We don't feel the freedom to just pick up the Bible when the mood strikes. We are pursuing him with passion, usually with the wrong perspective, but we are. Listen from now on. When the urgency strikes, when the difficulties come, when the hardships come, you thank God for the opportunity to know the God of your salvation. Looking back at verse 12, we see that the author describes an unbelieving heart as a heart which refuses to trust and rely on the Lord. A heart that turns away from the living God. Beware of turning away. You know... That's what repentance is, is turning away from your distraction of sin and circumstance back facing the God who holds you. Not the God that went off somewhere, not the God that left you, not the God that's no longer holding you, but literally the God that is holding you.
1: Thank you for joining us for His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger. This program is the radio ministry of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. You can send your tax-deductible donation to His Life Ministries, P.O. Box 1894, Bernie, Texas, 78006.